For those of you who did not know him, Peter Lyle Post, age 98 of Grand Rapids, passed away last September 6th, 2023. Pete was born in Grand Rapids to Theron and Pansy Post. He proudly served our country during World War II as an oil king on the USS New Jersey. In 1946, Peter married Beatrice Baer, who passed away on January 9th, 1996. Then he married Eleanor Collier, who also preceded him in death on February 19th, 2002. Not one to shy away from love, Pete married Lorraine Loaf in 2003. Besides his wife of 20 years, Lorraine, Pete is survived by his children, Richard, Judy, Tom, Sue, Gary, and Jim. His three stepchildren, Edward, Lori, and Leslie. 19 grandchildren, 36 great-grandchildren, and nine great-great-grandchildren, as well as many other nieces and nephews. Pete was a pattern maker and retired after 35 years from Michigan Pattern Works. He was a member of AMVETS Post 30 for over 50 years, and his passion was his family. Countless memories were made fishing on Hess Lake, boating on Reed Lake, picnics at Myers and John Ball Park, and regaling the stories of his naval career with the grandchildren. He also enjoyed hunting with his sons for many years. He was the grandpa everyone needed and was loved by all. Brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable unto you, our rock, our guide, our destination. Amen. A few years back, I was preparing to make the solitary journey down south uh, to place myself amongst the throngs of human beings that were going to bear witness to the apocalypse, uh, the total eclipse of the sun. You ever seen a total eclipse of the sun? It is bananas. It's very easy to understand why ancient people felt like it was a, kind of an important thing. The world turns upside down. I had a friend who lived in Kansas City, uh, and he'd organized this hilltop barbecue for the event. Uh, he was a, he'd been a minister for quite a few years, well, I think for about five or six years, but he left that to become a beer brewer, um, but he carried, a, he carried a, a fond memory of the church, and he wanted to have a, a, an old school fire and brimstone preacher on hand just in case things got a little weird. So I dusted off my King James Bible. I set the ribbon deep into the book of Daniel. This is what you want for an apocalypse. I got myself ready for doing some prophesying, Bible thumping, two of my favorite hobbies. And I was getting ready to head down, and then one of my best friends uh, from here in Michigan asked if I would take his squirrely uh, teenage boy with me. A kid is great. He's a great kid, but he was, uh, he was I think 12 or 13 years old at the time. 
And he was coming off a Boy Scout camping trip. And I said, is he going to be able to handle 20 hours in a car in really in one day? I'm just going down, watching the thing and coming right back. And uh, he assured me that the boy could handle it. So I picked up my, well, I got in the car. I went and picked up my ward, so to speak. And we journeyed through those barren wilds that exist to the south of this beautiful and precious peninsula. We're driving, I noticed he was obsessively checking the weather reports on his phone. I realized that he was worried about the clouds. I taught him my personal mantra. This isn't really in the Bible, but it served me well. You can write it down too, I'm gonna to give you this for free. You don't have to pay for it. Now, almost every day, I try to remind myself, minimize regret, Manage your expectations. I asked him what he thought this might mean in the context of our little quest to see the sun go out. And he said, um, we're doing something hard. We're driving across the country so that we don't have regrets. We won't be sitting in Michigan regretting that we didn't try. We can say we did our best, um, but we might not see what we came for. We've got to manage expectations about the things that are outside of our control. That, that was perfect. He nailed it. Um, we spent a long time uh, talking about our expectations. We were at two radically different places in life. When you're 13 years old, your life is filled with expectations. And uh, you don't really have a whole lot of regrets. It's not... So, when you get in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. We were in Kansas City. We saw about 99% of that eclipse until about 30 seconds before the light was going to go out and the sole cloud in the sky <laughs> walked, like quickly, like it was about to miss the bus just wandered in front of the sun. And there was about a hundred people on that hilltop and all of them just started groaning and loudly griping. There were people blaming Donald Trump. And I, don't know. I, I turned, I watched the, the boy that come with me. And uh, he, he, he didn't miss a thing. He was listening to the crickets started chirping when the sun went out. He pointed out the birds all going back to their nests and he showed me that there was an owl that had left its tree and was flying around. He took pictures of the sunset. Regardless of the sky, it is like a 360 degree sunset. Everywhere you look, it's the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen. And then uh, he gave me his little camera phone and he asked me to take a video of him doing a backflip during the eclipse. That's what he wanted. Um, boy, did me proud. That's how you do it. He left with no regrets because he managed his expectations. Yeah, he's a smart kid. His parents are doctors. And he reflected their values. His experience was a bright spot. After, after everything was over, we, I said, we gotta go. We gotta go back to Michigan. 
And he said, hang on. And uh, he went and he jumped in a lake. Uh, there was a little lake on my buddy's property. Um, and then he got out and he loudly complained that the water was way too warm. He's a Michigander. That was a beautiful little reflection on the best qualities that I think we have in young Americans. Intense curiosity about the world around them. I think that there is no more grievous and sad sin than a lack of curiosity. Incurious people getting through this world without ever taking a risk or wondering why. Uh, he had good humor. He was very polite, which is also nice. Um, we reflect values out into the world, whether we want to or not. Uh, I know some of you have probably seen this, but when it's a clear night, the stars are shining. Um, if you look up at the moon, the crescent moon, you might see a strange sight, especially in the winter uh, when it's very cold. You're more likely to see this. You'll see uh, the crescent moon lit up by the sunshine, but sometimes you can see the rest of the moon as like a, a shadow of itself, a visible kind of ghostly reflection. This, uh, when the, the regolith of the moon is still shining despite the sun not shining on it, astronomers call that earth shine, earth shine. Earth shines a visible portion of an otherwise dark moon. It's the light that's bouncing off the sunlit part of the earth onto the dark part of the moon. The earth in her own indiscreet and somewhat humble way gives off sunlight by her share and portion. She reflects the light of the sun out into the darkness of deep space. We creatures are not so different. We reflect the light of the God that we choose to serve. You've got a choice, right? Joshua says this. Every single day you have a choice of the God that you will serve. There's a, probably a billion gods out there, I suppose. You get to take your pick. Now, I think the jury is still out on whether or not we can choose to serve no gods. I got a lot of friends that lay claim to this, but I don't know. In my experience, I do think that everybody worships something. Jesus is telling this story today about these workers. It is a story that any child could see is patently unfair. Some of the workers work the whole day. Some of them work a little bit at the end. And they all get paid the same. Now the catch is they're all paid enough. Nobody's getting swindled or cheated. Uh, but yet, those ones who came first think that it's just not fair. That other people are getting paid what they got paid even though they don't work so well, as hard. I heard a story one time that blew my mind. When you get a PhD in this country, in almost any major institution of higher learning, you've got to take some tests at the end. They're called comprehensive examinations, or COMPs. They're hard. They're brutally hard. 
you got to study for, well, years, and then you got to take these tests for hours and hours. And a friend of mine was a faculty chair at a large uh, program, and she was distraught by how much stress this was putting their PhD candidates under. And so she called a faculty meeting, and uh, she said, this is crazy. These students, they're never going to have to do this again. There's no scenario where they're going to have to regurgitate untranslated Greek and Latin without a dictionary on hand. Why are we making them do this? We should do away with these tests and just have them work on their dissertations. And another member of the faculty began crying in that meeting. My friend said, I'm sorry, what's going on? And this other faculty member said, it's not fair. If I had to go through it, they should have to go through it too. If I live a thousand years, I won't understand that way of thinking. This week, we're watching one of the largest labor movement strikes in U.S. history. This is a big deal. And for all of the grief that I give to whichever poor sap currently occupies the Oval Office, it appears that the President of the United States of America is going to travel to Detroit and stand with those striking auto workers. That has never happened in the history of America. I don't know if it's going to result in any changes. I tend to be pretty cynical when it comes to political critters, but I'm blown away. I know that many of those auto workers are negotiating for a 40% increase in salary. And I also know that there are a lot of people out there who are very angry about that. I remember when McDonald's raised their wages to $15 an hour. Some people lost their minds. They said, $15 an hour for flipping a burger? That's crazy. And I want to say, you have never worked at a McDonald's. <laughs> that is one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Those friolators are a billion degrees. You couldn't pay me enough to stand in front of one of those things. But other folks said, well, that's too much money because McDonald's is really supposed to just be a job for high school students. And then I say, and yet, you eat there during school hours on weekdays. And you expect your burger, even though it's a job for high schoolers. They don't close during school. What do you expect? I'm very happy. I hope they all get the raises that they're asking for. If you took the wealth of this nation, I don't mean the GDP, I mean the actual wealth that we produce annually, and you divided it up equally amongst all American families, the average annual income for an American family today would be $750,000 a year. That feels like a lot of money, and it should. The only reason that Americans don't understand how much money that is is because most Americans don't really understand how much a billion is. They don't get it. There is more than enough to go around. Our problem isn't one of scarcity, it's one of greed. Likewise, in this story, Jesus is describing God's kingdom. It's a kingdom where there's enough to go around, even if you show up late, even if you work less than the others. It's not meant to be fair. 
We weren't born into a world of fairness, but a world of overwhelming abundance. This is part of living without regret and managing our expectations. If you were taken advantage of by a boss in your life, and you were underpaid and underappreciated, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. It was not fair. It was not just. But there is no benefit to be gained from putting that burden onto the next generation. Rather, as Christians, we celebrate the liberation of those who show up at the first or the eleventh hour. So we'll choose what God we want to reflect into this world. A God of abundance or a God of scarcity. You reflect the light of the God you choose to serve. I saw a man in the news, a bitter man, an angry man, a man with no nation, hanging proudly the Confederate flag over his house. The news anchor was interested in interviewing this man. He had a huge Confederate flag, the flag, the battle flag of the Confederacy. Um, a flag of, uh, of traitors who hated my home country, the Union of America, so much that they tried to destroy the Union using swords and cannons. His neighbor hated seeing that flag over his house, but the man had a constitutional right to fly it, even though the people who flew that flag would have immediately taken away his constitutional right to fly that flag. They wanted him to take it down, and he chose to add a sign above it that read, Slaves for Sale. I don't know exactly the name of the God that that man worships, but I know about that God because of the light that he's reflecting into the world. Okay? Sometimes we can't know what sickness is in another person, but we can know the symptoms by seeing what they are shining out into the world around them. I see twisted men in our society who are armed to the teeth. and They're bitter, humorless, ill-tempered, maybe never given a God to serve in their childhood, never given goodness to worship. Fear the gods that they would serve if mine weren't so powerful. And they march and strut around and they throw up Nazi salutes and try to get on the news and they laugh and mock. They think that they're men. They perform their masculinity. And they worship a weird, toxic God. What light do you want to give off into the world? What light do we reflect when we humble ourselves at the altar of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was a man who, for a few friends, handed over his life, beaten and humiliated in public. He was a dark-skinned man with woolly hair, a man who was hated by the powerful people. He couldn't vote. He couldn't own property. He was a man that was mocked. He himself says that he has no home, a homeless man. 
Would we humble ourselves to worship him and reflect his light into the world? A man who was so defenseless that he was betrayed by a kiss. Do we want to worship him? What life would we have? What light will we shine into the world? Will we give off the light of wealth and employability? Give off the light of financial stability and good credit? Would we give off the light of national patriotism and military might? Reflect the glory of industry and capitalism? What light do we reflect? What do we want? What do we want to reflect into the world? You will reflect the light of the God you choose to serve. And if you serve a God that demands this perfect fairness, this perfect, mm, this, this pairing out of resources, as though they're pieces of a pie, as though they're chairs in a, in a game and somebody's going to be left without, you will give off a light that demands that you claim that things of this world are yours and yours alone. The last time I was able to speak with Pete, you're we hanging out in his room, I was sermonizing, and he would be patient with me for a little bit to do this sort of thing. But after I'd gotten started and Pat was there, he kind of slapped the table. He said, we got to go. I got to get out of here. And I was like, what, where are we going? Are we going on a trip. <laughs> there was a big band playing in uh, the, 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 the veterans' home. He wanted to see them. And I did, too. I didn't know it. He wanted me to come with him to see it. And we had a great time there listening to that music. He had such a brilliant way of making people laugh, even toward the end. Even if he didn't know who you were, he just wanted to see you laugh. He had that kindness in him, and it continued to shine out of him. After having lived a life with a great deal of grief in it. Many of us might envy Pete his 98 years of life, but would any of us envy the grief of the death of two spouses, the pain that he experienced in his life, the terror that he surely knew having come face to face with a brutal imperial power on the seas? In a boat, we imagine that we know what would be fair, but only God knows. I want us to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. I want our earth shine to be joy and love, kindness and generosity, and self-control. When, uh, when I look to our culture, I turn on the TV, does the TV want me to be joyful? Are men allowed to be joyful? As I see the joyless faces of these young men who want to be taken seriously, uh, are they patient and peaceful? What about gentleness? Am I a real American man if I'm gentle? Who do I worship? I know that Pete was both joyful and gentle. 
I would love to be like him when I'm older. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord God require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. If you choose to reflect that light and walk humbly, I might get laughed at and mocked by other men. Might get tricked and taken advantage of by the duplicitous. If I act justly, well, I'm never going to make a billion dollars. You never get a billion bucks by acting justly. If I love mercy, I might be thought of as weak. And if I walk humbly, I don't know that I'll ever be able to be a celebrity. <laughs> I vacillate. In the strength of my faith, I turn toward the only God I really want to serve, though. And that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus doesn't really seem to want me to reflect those lights into the world, the light of power and stability and wealth and celebrity. This week, we're going to walk out into the streets of Jerusalem. We've got a lot going on out there in the world. Take a moment and uh, I give you permission to observe the people that you meet out there and try to figure out what kind of light they're reflecting into the world. Remember, we don't make the light. We reflect it. Try to see. If you have to look at the TV, try and figure out what light are they reflecting into the world, whether they mean to or not. Think about that. See the temperature of their earth shine. And then uh, if you want to take it one step further, you can go ahead and try to discern for yourself what sorts of gods they might actually serve. And then think about yourself. And turn toward the source of the light, which is Jesus Christ. Turn toward the sun, that light. By doing so, whether you want to or not, you will reflect his light out into the world. Turn again and again and again You're with your whole selves toward his light. You don't have to make the light. You are not the light. You reflect the light. Like the mirror in a lighthouse, all you need to do is turn toward him. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. I promise you. But it will be unmistakable to those who see it. And they will see it. And it might even encourage them to try to turn and see what you're looking at. What is so captivating to you that you might reflect its light out into the world. Is it fair? It's never meant to be fair. Is it just and good and merciful? It's the only thing I know of that is. Continue to turn toward him and then reflect him into the world. And praise God that we have that. Praise God. Shine on. Amen.